Welcome to On The Scene Podcast. I'm Heather Harrison. And I'm Emma Dotson. And we're breaking down Mississippi's top stories. We will bring you breaking news, pop culture, and hot takes. Coming from the desk of two student journalists, we'll share our favorite news of the week with you. We're We're on the scene, reflecting on Mississippi's top stories. Hey guys, welcome back. Today we have another very serious topic. We're going to be talking about the missing persons case of Jimmy J. Lee, who was a black LGBTQ Ole Miss student. So I'd like to issue a trigger warning right now if you are sensitive to murder, missing persons, cases involving black individuals or LGBTQ people, I would advise staying away from this podcast or skip to Emma's opinion corner, probably about midway through the episode. You can skip about 20 We'll put or so. something in the caption. Yes. Our sources for today, I have three Mississippi Today articles by Molly Minta. She did like a little series kind of follow-up articles. I have a WLOX article by Quentin Smith and a Daily Journal article by William Moore. So let's talk about Jay Lee. So Jay Lee, Jimmy Jay Lee, was a 20-year-old student at Old Miss. I don't know their pronouns, so I'm going to refer to Jay using they, them pronouns. I've seen he, him pronouns being used, but I've also seen a couple instances of she, her. So we're just going to go about they, them pronouns. So Jay used to perform drag at Code Pink, which was a drag night in Oxford. They were very confident, and they ran for Homecoming King last year to promote self-love and living your truth. Their little sister said Jay would always leave the house, dress their best, and dress and makeup. So Jay Lee went missing on July 8th, which happened to be their mother Stephanie's birthday. So Jay texted their mom at 2 in the morning, and that was the last text they had ever sent. 22-year-old Ole Miss graduate Sheldon Timothy Harrington Jr. was charged with Jay's murder on August the 9th. He and Jay allegedly had a sexual relationship before Jay went missing. What happened between July 8th and August the 9th? At 6.03 a.m. on July 8th, four hours after Jay texted their mom, Jay sent Tim a Snapchat message saying open, telling Tim he could enter Jay's apartment, which is called Campus Walk. It's an off-campus apartment in Oxford. Police found Google searches on Tim's computer after they got a search warrant from 5.56 that morning asking, quote, how long does it take to strangle someone, Gabby Petito? Mm -hmm. Police officer... That's disturbing. Yeah, yeah. Police officer Ryan Baker said in court that Tim staged the murder by parking Jay's car at a different apartment complex, Molly Bar Trails, to make it seem like that was the last place Jay was seen. So basically, Tim went over to Jay's apartment complex, moved Jay's car to this other apartment complex, and then security footage shows Tim driving Jay's car into Molly Bar Trails, that other apartment complex, and shortly after, afterward, a man in a gray hoodie, dark shorts, and black and white tennis shoes runs out of the apartment complex. And so Officer Baker believes that man was Tim. He said, you never see the man entering the complex on foot, only leaving. That's Mm. kind of a mystery. Why was Jay's car over there? Why would he bring Jay's car to a different apartment complex if there wasn't something sketchy going on? It is kind of strange. So I And he was probably the guy that's a suspect. Probably was trying to hide from the cameras. That's what you always saw him leaving. Didn't realize there was a camera right there. Right, right. And reminder, this is still a missing persons case, so I don't know what has happened to Jay Lee. That's kind of the whole purpose of this. Where is Jay Lee? So we don't know, uh, but it's still very suspicious. Why would he be doing that? Mm-hmm. At a nearby gas station, the footage shows Tim waving at someone to give him a ride, and apparently he knew this person, and so then he was offered a ride home. And so at 8.30 p.m. that same day, July 8th, Jay's mother, Stephanie, called the Ole Miss Police Department to request a wellness check on her child um, because Jay lived in an off-campus apartment complex that was owned by the university as well. So the Ole Miss Police Department could go out there and do a search, uh, do a wellness check. Jay had never replied to the message she sent nearly 12 hours prior. Jay's mom texted them 
on July the 8th, but Stephanie, the mom, never heard from Jay after that 2 a.m. message. So we don't know what happened basically between around 6 a.m. until 8.30 p.m. Also, Jay's Find My iPhone location wasn't showing up and it said their phone was about to die. So Stephanie was worried. On her birthday, you would think that Jay would be talking to their mom a lot, kind of, you know, more than normal or just, you know, wishing happy birthday, stuff like that, planning festivities, but it was radio silent. So about 15 minutes later, we're around about 8.45 p.m. right now, Ole Miss Police Department officer goes to check on Jay at their university-owned student housing complex, and they find Jay's front door ajar with the dog inside. And that just made my heart skip a beat almost. It was Their just, dog was still inside? I know, their dog was still inside. Like, what a good dog. Finley would run out the door if the, it was open. Like, oh, my dog definitely would. So then on July 9th, um, the following day, UMPD makes a Where Is Jay Lee post on social media and includes their car's description, which is a black Ford Fusion with a gold stripe on the front hood and a Mississippi license plate reading J-A-Y-L-E-E -E with the number one. Bandit Towing called the police department and said they towed Jay's car from the Molly Bar Trails apartments around 2 p.m. on July 8th. Jay's car was parked there early in the morning on July 8th, and it was towed away at 2 p.m. So one of Jay's friends called the UMPD tip line and said that Jay was on the way to meet up with, quote, someone he had previously hooked up with early on the morning on July 8th. So those two were Snapchatting Jay and Tim, allegedly, but Jay's friend did not know the name of that person. So on July 21st, Oxford Police Department identifies Tim as a person of interest. The police gain access to a Snapchat, which confirms Jay's friend's story that Tim and Jay were talking early that morning. Tim was using a new account, and one of his older accounts was blocked by Jay. So that was kind of suspicious. Here's how their conversation went. Tim asked Jay to, quote, come back to his place, but Jay refused at first and said Tim played an a-hole move earlier that night. Jay said they think Tim is, quote, just trying to lure me over there to beat my blank or something and tim replied saying you tripping i do feel bad because we cool so i ain't trying to end it like this and jay said the only reason they'll go over to tim's place is if tim performs oral sex on him tim agreed jay told tim it won't quote end up good if tim attempt if tim attempts to quote hurt me or some s word tim replies i know so jay was suspicious of tim I feel like Tim had previously hurt Jay in the past. I don't know. This is just an assumption. But the way that these messages show, yeah. this is not a good friend, someone you trust. Seems like a pattern almost. Yes. Especially with the blocked account, it makes me seem like Tim maybe was targeting Jay and just kind of wearing him out. You know what I mean? Like when mm -hmm. you just create multiple accounts and you're just like, well, I will talk to this person. I will be in their life. Just trying yeah. to like weasel their way in. But I don't know. That's just my theory. You may have your own theory. That might be what the police department thinks. I don't know. Oxford Police Department officers knock on Tim's door at the DLP of Oxford Apartments on July 22nd. Tim opened the door. He answered a few basic questions about Jay Lee. He asked the police to excuse his, part, his apartment's messiness because he was moving to Dallas soon. Officer Baker observed towels and clothing on the furniture like Tim had just done laundry. So it was kind of messy in there. Police detain Tim, and they bring him back to the department for questioning. Officers read his Miranda rights, and Tim signs a waiver saying he won't need a lawyer during Baker's questioning. So Tim told officers that he and Jay had a casual relationship. He said on the morning of July 8th, he went to Walmart to buy duct tape before going on a run. So he makes no mention of moving the car, talking to Jay. He just went to Walmart to buy duct tape before going on a run. So that same day, officers got a search warrant for Tim's apartment, 
and sees his MacBook keys and a pair of dark colored shoes. They find a Walmart receipt for the duct tape purchased at 6.41 a.m. on July 8th. So that was true. Okay, he did but who just goes to the store to buy only duct tape? And then you go on a run? See, I, I don't know. That's kind of weird. That's probably why they're suspecting him. Because this yeah. is kind of a shady story. And Officer Baker stated in court that cadaver dogs went to Tim's house and picked up the scent of death in his home, his SUV, and his truck. But it was not confirmed if the, cadaver, if the cadaver dogs were recently trained and picking up the scent of death or if they had this memory, basically. So it was unsure if that was a real uh, pickup of the scent. or if This that man was... has two cars, an SUV and a truck. Yeah, so he owned a moving company, so he had a truck for that. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Inside of Tim's SUV, they found blonde hair strands. And guess who had blonde in their hair? Jay did. Which I, is not necessarily incriminating evidence because lots of people have blonde hair. I have blonde hair. But it is something. And Tim told the Oxford Police Department that he and Jay had a sexual relationship. Tim was afraid of being outed, according to the district attorney's office. I'm not sure if he himself was gay as well or he, he was experimenting. But that's kind of what the assumption was from the DA's office. However, Tim's defense attorneys say there's nothing to connect him to the crime, especially since Jay's body has not been found. So that's very key to this. Jay is still a missing person. We don't know what's going on. A number of things could have happened in those 12 hours. So that's kind of Tim's argument. Then on July 27th, the Oxford Police Department gets the results from Tim's MacBook history. July 7th, Tim Googled flights from Dallas to Singapore. He also viewed a Twitter profile called hashtag trans lives matter, which posted porn videos of transgender people. And at 5.21 a.m., minutes before he Snapchatted Jay, Tim viewed Jay's Twitter page. And then at 5.56 a.m., so about 25 minutes later, after Tim told Jay that he was on his way to Jay's apartment, Tim Googles, how long does it take to strangle someone, Gabby Petito? Then, does pre-workout boost testosterone? Okay, I'm not saying that you can't just Google random things, but these are not a good string of things to Google together. I can confidently say I've never Googled how long does it take to strangle someone. Yeah. Unless you're researching it for some sort of case or a podcast, I don't know why you would need that information. Yeah. These are not great things connecting. So I feel like that's some evidence they were saying they didn't have any incriminating evidence. Well, that's... Yeah. That's something to provide to the story. Yeah. And we're getting to some more evidence now. Security footage on, from Walmart on July 8th shows Tim looking at garbage cans before he bought duct tape at 6.41 a.m. So he did go buy the duct tape, as we had already established. So then on July 29th, police obtained a search warrant for Tim's parents' house in Grenada, Mississippi. And they found footage of Tim at his parents' house getting a shovel with a long handle and a wheelbarrow and putting them in the back of his truck on the day that Jay went missing. So on July 8th, he was putting all this stuff in his truck. And he owned a moving company, which is why he had that truck. And so in court, Assistant District Attorney Tiffany Kilpatrick said she believes Tim went to dispose of Jay's body after that photo was taken on July 9th. Sorry, that was July 9th. Tim was then jailed and denied bond on August the 9th. So he had a hearing and he was denied bond. But many believe that Tim is innocent. According to Mississippi Today, a superintendent, a country singer named Charlie Warsham, and the Grenada County Sheriff were among 69 friends, family, and local officials. They wrote letters um, asking the Lafayette County Circuit Court judge to release Tim. So he had a bunch of people on his side. They were all citing his character. And so outside of Tim's hearing on August the 9th, a dozen protesters loudly chanted for the judge to release Tim. Tim's family and friends say the murder was unlike the nice, caring boy they knew. They believe Tim is innocent. They said Tim was a yes, sir, no, ma'am, yes, sir. 
like yes sir no sir yes ma'am no ma'am type of guy well there's lots of people that are like that to your face though right right they said he is very polite he had never been in trouble previously this did not line up with his character if you're from the south you say yes ma'am no ma'am true that's just manners here true and on the other side the justice for jay lee movement sparked after the 20 year old's disappearance so their family and friends wanted to know what happened to jay as anybody's family and friends would of want course. to know when someone goes missing so protesters other protesters gathered to hear if Tim would make bail. And Jay's friend said Jay would be the first one to organize a similar protest if someone they knew deserved justice. What do you think? Did Tim murder Jay? Did Tim kidnap Jay? Or is he just in the wrong place at the wrong time? We really don't know anything about Jay after 6 a.m. on July the 9th. We have those Snapchat messages and then nothing. We have Tim being sketchy at taking Jay's car to the apartment complex. We have Tim going to Walmart and getting duct tape and that footage of him with the wheelbarrow and the shovel and Grenada. But Jay, it was 8.30 p.m. that night before police went to Jay's apartment. So something, someone else could have kidnapped him. Something else could have happened in those 14 hours. But I have, I have no idea. It's likely that Tim is connected to this all. But you can't 100% confirm anything at this point. Yeah. And I definitely don't want to say that Tim is guilty and, you know, ruin his name, slander his name, because that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to have justice for Jay Lee. This is about Jay, not about whoever kidnapped or whatever. So I, I really don't know. Tim was looking a little spish. Yeah, a little bit. Lots of things combined together. It's not what a normal person does. Also, all of this was done at, like, before 8 a.m. I don't know anything hardly before 7 a.m. He was, like... Walking around Walmart, getting duct tape at 6-something right. in the morning. Even if you're going to go on a run, that's not something really I think of. I'm like, oh, I need to get duct tape before I go running. Yeah, like, why did you need duct tape at 6.41 a.m.? And if you had the other things where you get in the wheelbarrow, the shovel, not sounding too good in your favor here, even if he wasn't the sole perpetrator. Yeah, so I don't know. He has been charged with these crimes. He will have a trial, so we'll see. As of right now, we don't know where this case is going. I don't know if any other suspect has come to light, any other strong argument. People could say that Jay went missing by themselves, just decided to be a runaway, but I don't know why they would do that on their mother's birthday. Like, that does not does make a lot sense? of sense to me. You would think maybe if you wanted to go run away, you would skip your mother's birthday and go the day after or something. Yeah. But I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I just hope that Jaylee's family gets some peace of mind sometime soon. Yeah, I just hope they have closure. So if you know anything about Jaylee, make sure you contact the Oxford Police Department and give tips. We'll put some contact information in the description box down below where you can do a Crime Stoppers tip line. But justice for Jaylee. We'll keep you all updated. We'll see how this trial goes. But I wanted to shed some light on something happening just about an hour away from us. So now on the local side, transitioning to our other segment, RIP to Magnolia Social. It closed. It was inside Hotel Chester, and they recently announced they were closing on Instagram a couple of days ago. I, they didn't really say why they were closing, but I feel like it's because we just don't have enough people who have enough money to be going to Magnolia Social all the Allegedly, time. Allegedly, this is not directly from them, but some people were saying that they went bankrupt. Mm. I guess being... Located inside Hotel Chester is not always the best location. People don't know it's there. Yeah. So, or they might assume it's only for hotel patrons. Right. And it was a little bit more expensive, a little bit fancier than what normal college students would 
typically go for, so I can see kind of why it didn't work out in this demographic, but RIP to them. But when one door closes, another door opens. A new bar and grill is opening in the old Cowbells building. It's called Double-Headed Eagle Bar and Grill. I'm actually living in the Highlands, so it's pretty close to me. Peyton Brown wrote an article about that for the Reflector, so check that out for more information. But yeah, new business. That building's been empty since 2020 when the pandemic hit, so that'll be a nice addition out here in the Highlands. Nice to bring some new life into the area. Yes. Now time for some story updates. So just have one. Jackson residents no longer have a boil water notice. Yay! The Environmental Protection Agency remains an active investigation of the water system. So we're still... As they should. Yes, as they should. Uh, we're still in the process of seeing how Jackson wants to manage its water system from this point forward. I know I mentioned the last episode, there are several options that the city could take to regain control of their water system. So we'll see what they do about that. We'll keep y'all updated. Now it's time for Emma's Opinion Corner. Yay! Yay! All right, so as always, the first thing to start off our Opinion Corner is the hot take. So, MSU, as y'all know, this happened three weeks back, I think now? About? Early September, yeah. Yeah. MSU released a new national commercial that they had, and also with it, kind of a rebrand with a new slogan. So instead of, we ring true, they now have taking care of what matters. And I think that this thing is <laughs> awful. I've talked to some of the people that are kind of working on this, on the online side of things, and she kind of explained to me their thought process, and it made sort of sense. But, like, your casual viewer or people that you're trying to get potential new students are not going to be... You're not going to be getting one-on-one -on -one contact here that you get to explain, oh, this is why we decided to do this way. Yeah. They were trying to say, like, they could plug in words, be, like, taking care of what matters, or, like, teachers or something like that, taking care of what matters, uh, students. Okay? <laughs> I guess I could see, like, the plug-in-the-blank type thing, but to me, I'm just, like, whenever they did this commercial, it was mostly STEM-focused. They, they highlighted, like, their eco-car. They highlighted their different ag crop stuff they're doing with, like, drones and different things like that. Different research in labs. Uh, they even did one highlight of something businessy. I think, our entrepreneurial uh, center we have. Mm -hmm. But no humanities whatsoever. No. There was not a single humanity to be thought of. Where were the people who were editing articles profusely? Exactly. So sweat dripping down their forehead. <laughs> Heather looking stressed behind the desk. <laughs> I mean, they just it really just didn't represent the student body that is there because while we do have a large ag kind of side of things and STEM side of things just in general, there still are humanities as Heather and I both know and as many others that are listening know. Uh, and also the people that were making it we're all freaking humanities. Yeah, yeah. The people that did this rebranding campaign are like they did humanities. They're from the communication department. Yeah, the people that did the commercial and filmed it, mm -hmm. they were humanity majors. So why are we not representing the people that even made the commercial? Doesn't make a lot of sense, especially since MSU is you know we have the Max South Digital Media Center, which they're always talking about. Oh, it's so nice, blah blah blah, and it is very nice. Why don't we show that off? I just think it would have been nice. To take care of what matters is including everyone. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're not really reflecting your entire target audience. I get we're trying to be a research school, but there's other things besides that. 
and there's research in humanities too. Mm-hmm. So that's just my two cents. I think they could have done a little better and maybe could have done a little more research in the process of that. Yeah. Taking care of what matters. What, what was wrong with we, we Ring True? I know that's kind of like a vague slogan, but We Ring True makes sense. Yes, We Ring True. Taking care of what matters. I could have thought of that in one second. That just makes, like, what matters? Like, what does matter? What matters? It's just like a, some basic old company comes, comes up with that. Like, we're Mississippi State University. It could be anything. We ring true. Ring cowbell. Yes. Yes. We ring true. And it still highlights your egg thing right there. Okay, that's my two cents. Anyway, <laughs> just had to highlight that for y'all guys. Next up is our film review. So I watched a movie for y'all, Be Proud, on Netflix. It's called Do Revenge 2022. It was an hour and 58 minutes, so a little bit hefty, but it was rated R. So if you're not a fan of language, don't watch it. Or at least keep the volume low if you're concerned about, like, siblings or your parents or something. Um, but Or your niece or your nephew. Anyone you know. that you might not want to be around that. Anyway, that was, like, the only bad thing, I would say. Other than that, they just kind of refer to some graphic things like drugs, occasional sex, that type of thing. Uh, it's not really that graphic. So what is this about? So the plot. Popular girl Drea wants revenge on her boyfriend for publishing her sex tape. Not really a sex tape because it was only meant to go to him, but you get the picture. Mm. And exchange student Eleanor is haunted by a rumor. The two teenagers team up to take action against their tormentors. So this whole film kind of gives nods to early 2010 movies nice. uh, like Mean Girls I could see definitely you could see that in there them taking inspiration for that Princess Diaries and Clueless it also starred Sarah Michelle oh god Geller Geller who played Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Daphne in the live action Scooby-Doo movies which further kind of pays homage to that era of film and I appreciated that so it's like because. a chick flick a little bit yeah but also has some twists and turns in there so it kind of keeps you engaged uh, so it was directed and co-written by Jennifer Caton Robinson, who screenwrote for Thor Love and Thunder, directed and screenwrote Someone Great, which I think that's also on Netflix, and screenwrote for Unpregnant. So these are all pretty comedic movies. Keeps got kind of lighthearted notes. It stars Camila Mendez as Drea. She is known for her work in Riverdale and Palm Springs, which I can't say much about what Riverdale is happening now. Yeah, I saw it way back when, probably season one, and I watched part of season two. But they're doing something over there. Uh, and then Maya Hawk is Eleanor. And she's known for her role in Stranger Things, Fear Street, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's also known for being the daughter of Ethan Hawk and Uma Thurman, who were both some of the top actors in the 1990s and early 2000s. Yay, nepotism. Oh, T, I didn't know that. Was she in the show that you watched last week, A League of Their Own? Oh, no. Oh, it's not, I, that name seems so familiar. Like, we've talked about it on the podcast before. I don't know. Anyway. I don't think so. Anyway, she was in this, and I just thought it was nice because her parents were kind of a big part of that, too. So it further connect, connects it to that 2000s era. Yes. Lots of kind of nostalgia, in a sense. Uh, so, yeah, the movie was good. Nothing game-changing. It is a teen movie, after all. But there was a couple of twists, as I mentioned, built in that are enjoyable to kind of watch unfold. Uh, there was good supporting characters. They had some... Uh, Pretty big names out there. Sophie Turner, who's known for her work in Game of Thrones. The X-Men and Dark Phoenix made a cameo. Pretty hilarious what she was doing there. <laughs> uh, 
And then, uh, fun fact, she's also married to Joe Jonas, another 2000s connection. Yes. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, so as far as the interview that I normally mention, this was an interview with Time Magazine by Shannon Carlin. This is a quote. The film is loosely inspired by Patricia Highsmith's 1950s psychological thriller, Strangers on the Train, in which two men decide to trade murders. It's also the inspiration for the 1951 Alfred Hitchcock film of the same name. Although no one in this film actually dies, there are several acts of sabotage that make the character feel like they want to die. So, I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't realize that they connected it back to a different source material, so it's kind of cool that they were doing that, kind of like how they've done with the Shakespeare films, Mm -hmm. bringing them into modern light and doing a twist on it. So, kind of neat, but I'll have that link below if y'all want to read the whole thing talking about the movie. Pretty cool. Nice. That sounds interesting. I might watch it. Oh, good. We're going to watch something I recommend, guys. Yes. Moving on to my recommendations. Books on the brim. Okay, here's my book recommendation. <laughs> she just did jazz fingers, guys. That was to me, for me to signal that the music is coming in, but clearly I can't see. Anyway. My book recommendation this week, I have a really good book for you guys. It is Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Reed Jenkins. So this is a fictional story about a 70s rock band called The Six and Daisy Jones used to open up their concerts, but then she became part of the band after a spectacular performance. I won't give all the way the details, but anyway, the story is 70s rock at its best. It's feuds, drama, fashion, and of course drugs. So trigger warning again, if you're sensitive to drug abuse, I guess. Because there's a lot of drug abuse in this. Of course, you would listen to something that seventies rock. You don't love the seventies, do you? Yes. Oh my god, this story was so good. It was so good that I thought it was a real story. So I listened on Audible, and I usually Audible I pick my books based on like my like recommendations I've already heard from other people or like things I've seen on like popular books. So with my one credit a month, I decided to get this, and I didn't read anything about it. I just knew it was about a seventies rock band. You just knew it was the one. Yes, I knew it was one. And I thought for like probably a quarter of the way into it, I thought that it was a real story because it was so convincing that it <laughs> felt real. And then I went to look up Daisy Jones and the Six on Spotify and it did not exist because it's a fictional story. So yes, it is a fictional story, but it really seems real. Like it's so, like I wish it was real. If somebody like takes that band name and just starts making music, I don't think Heather would be disappointed no, if it's inspired I would not. by that. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Um, so... I listened to Audible, like I said, and the cast was fantastic. For every single character, they had a different narrator, and their emotions, they fit so well with the dialogue. It was amazing. 10 out of 10. Best book I've read probably in this whole year. It was a great read. So if you're going to read one thing that I've read, read Daisy Jones and the Six. It is such a good book. Okay, that's all for me. Thanks, Heather. <laughs> Back to my recommendations. We have Fine Dining with Emma Dotson. Fine Dining with Emma Dotson. This week, we're getting saucy. I decided to try something a little different. This is called CJ Bibigo Original Korean Barbecue Marinade and Sauce. It's a great sauce for meat and vegetables. You could probably add it to your ramen, too, if you wanted. And it's available at Kroger for $4.99 to change the taste of your weekly rotation. Nice. So, yeah. It a was little a, saucy this I week. I tried it when I was at home. My mom had bought it, and she said, Emma, you gotta try this. It's pretty good. So I said, okay. And I tried it on a piece of chicken, and it tasted really good. So I'm going to get some. Nice. And I recommend y'all do it too. Yeah, that's all fine dining for this week. Next up is good news. Good news. So according to Howard Ballou for WLBT, a tech hub may be coming to Jackson. 
So what is a tech hub? I don't know, but let's find out. So it is a community that promotes innovation for technology-based companies. That was a quote. It's a place where technology, talent, investors, and educators and companies can thrive. So Dr. Dr. Nashley Cephas is not deterred by the challenges of getting such a development going on in Jackson. She also founded a nonprofit in Jackson called The Bean Path, which is designed to provide help with those who need guidance with technology. And then Richard McNeil, who's a Jackson architect, is a believer in Cephas's vision, particularly the location of the Jackson Tech District. He said he has seen examples of this type of development become highly successful in places like Atlanta, where he's from, and more more recently, Denver, Colorado. So just having a tech hub, kind of like the Milo Center on campus, just having a place where people can spit out ideas and create something cool in Jackson is a really nice addition. This could help foster innovation to kind of make up for the shortcomings in our current education system. I mean, we know it's not the best here, but we also don't have enough teachers here either. So, And I think this could kind of help with that gap if you get to look more into the education because online education is a good thing yes. as well. And there's lots of free like resources out there that people don't have access to simply because they don't have the money to. This could help with that. Yeah, it'll be a really great addition for people who want to check it out. So that'll be in Jackson. We'll link the article down below. But on that note, that's all we have for you guys today. Keep it short. Keep it sweet. Yes. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Helps us out with our ratings. And also lets us know if you enjoy it. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at OnTheScenePod. And email us OnTheScenePod at gmail.com. Remember to share us to your stories if you're listening and send us anything that you want. Yes, if you want to be a guest, hit us up. If you want a topic to be shared, hit us up. We're always looking for suggestions and recommendations. To if make. you like our music, hit us up. Yes. If you hate our music, hit us up. If you watched or read what we recommended, let us know if you liked it or not. Yes, Please we'd love to do. hear from y'all. Anyways. And it's time for our shameless plug for The Reflector. It's the MSU student newspaper. You should definitely read us on Wednesdays. It's reflector-online.com and at reflectoronline on social media. Last week was the election edition. This week, we just have a regular old paper, but we got a lot of good stuff in there. Regular, but a good one. Yes. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.
The city of Starkville and Octibaha County have both opted into the medical marijuana program. So has the city of Oxford and Lafayette County and the city of Hattiesburg and Forest County.